0: This morning, we are going to be wrapping up our series called Rough Crowd. We've been going through the story of Joseph. Have you guys enjoyed the series? It's been seven weeks of, man, we've been pounding at home. And there's been some awkward stuff, and there's been some weird stuff. And... Um, it's just been, uh, this is one of my favorite stories, so um, I've, I've just really enjoyed it. Uh, but here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to spend a large chunk of time recapping, okay? Because it's going to play into what, how the story finishes, obviously. And so, and we know that people don't, uh, aren't able to make it every single week. So we're going to recap. Maybe you missed a couple weeks, but we're, hopefully you get it all in today. And, um, and then we're going to wrap up the story. and We're going to look at maybe the final thing, maybe the most important thing that we can learn. From the story at the end Um, and so uh, that's the the plan okay the one of the cool things about Joseph and about the story is that it's it's in the it's in the Old Testament right it's in the first book it's right at the beginning of the Bible in in the book of Genesis and uh, it won't take you long if you start reading the book of Genesis or reading the Bible at the very beginning until you run into a guy named Abraham and actually technically that's where this story uh, begins uh, God shows, or God shows up to this guy named Abraham. He kind of picks him out of all the people of the earth, and um, he says, "Hey, uh, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna make you a promise," and he he gives. Abraham kind of two promises. He says, hey, first, I'm going to rescue the world through your offspring, okay? So somebody's gonna come through your line that is going to rescue the entire world. Now, Abraham didn't understand what that means. He didn't understand what that meant necessarily. He didn't, maybe even, didn't fully understand why, um, like we do here today. And we know exactly who that would be 2,000 or several, yeah, 2,000 years later, um, it would be Jesus. Uh, But he also promises Abraham that not only was he gonna rescue the world, but also he was going to turn him into or make him into a a large nation. Uh, There's one problem for Abraham, and that is uh, he's got no kids, and Abraham happens to be pretty old. And so Abraham doesn't know how. He doesn't know why God's necessarily doing this, but he believes God's going to do this anyway. And so they wait a while, and eventually Abraham has a son named Isaac, and uh, Isaac gets married when he grows up, and eventually he has two sons that are twins, one named Esau and one named Jacob. And uh, as, as they grow up, uh, so far, right, this doesn't look like much of a nation. Um, it doesn't even look like much of a family. Um, but Jacob happens to have 12 sons. And we can see that from this point on that, hey, you know, a few generations from this point that, yeah, we could totally understand how this could look like a, a small nation, especially from ancient sta- standards. And so Joseph, he's got his 12, or sorry, Jacob, he's got his 12 sons. And, uh, and out of his 12 sons, he has a personal favorite, which is never a good idea as a dad, uh, to have a favorite child, uh, but, but Jacob did, and that happened to be his second to youngest son named Joseph, um, where he traded, he, treated him with extreme favoritism. And so one day, the story begins where Jacob tells Joseph, his son, he says, hey, I want you guys, I want you to go check up on your older brothers. They're out with the livestock, maybe miles and miles away. Go check up on them and see how they are doing. And so that's exactly what he does. And when his brothers see Joseph walking towards them, they hate him so much because of his dad's favoritism, because he's his dad's favorite. And by the way, Joseph didn't do himself any favors, Right. I mean, he's the one flaunting it. He's got his special coat on that dad gave him. Uh, He's got these, like, two weird dreams that that he can interpret. That He's like, oh, these dreams mean that you guys are all going to be bowing down to me someday. Just giving you a heads up, guys. Awesome. Like, typical younger brother stuff. And uh, that was Joseph. And when they see Joseph coming, they want to kill him, but they resort to, ah, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him off as a slave to these traders who are going through the area. And that's exactly what they do. And so as these brothers wave, goodbye, Joseph, they know they'll never have to deal with Joseph again. And Joseph knows there is a very, very, very good chance that he will never see his dad again and that he'll never see home ever again. And so Joseph... He's taken to Egypt. He's put on the auction block. Uh, he happens to be purchased by this high-ranking official of Pharaoh called Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar, he was the captain of the bodyguard, meaning he was one of Pharaoh's most trusted officials. His job was literally to keep Pharaoh alive and to protect Pharaoh at all costs. And so um, as, he is, as Joseph is purchased by Potiphar, the Bible tells us, That the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Which is kind of a theme we see throughout this entire story. All this bad stuff keeps happening to Joseph, and what do we see? Well, God's still with him. It's kind of the opposite of how we think. We think, if all this bad stuff's happening to me, then where's God? Does God even know what's going on? Does God even care? But here we see, no, 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 God is still with Joseph. And Joseph starts working up through the ranks. By the way, he's still very much a slave. And uh, people start to notice. In fact, Potiphar starts to notice. He notices that whatever he gives Joseph to do, Joseph does really, really, really well. And Potiphar ends up putting Joseph in charge of everything that he owned. And Potiphar wasn't the only one who noticed, right? The girls start to notice too. Joseph, at this point, is like a 19, 20-year-old kid. Um, he, the Bible tells us that he is well-built and handsome, all right? So he's a good-looking guy. And uh, one of the girls that starts to notice Joseph happens to be Potiphar's wife, which is not a good thing. And so she begins, you know, after she drops all the hints and she just comes out, and she begins really begging Joseph and and ordering Joseph to sleep with her. And Joseph has to, on a daily basis, okay, so this is a big deal, and Joseph has to constantly say, no, I can't do that, he has to constantly refuse, I, I shouldn't do that, I can't do that against God, I can't do that against Potiphar, like, that is not a good thing, until one day, she's just had it, and she she tries to, to get Joseph to sleep with her, kind of the last time, he refuses her for the last time, and she can't take it anymore, and so she starts screaming, and she accuses Joseph as trying to rape her, part angry, I'm sure, part embarrassed, she accuses Joseph of raping her, or trying to rape her. And so Potiphar, when he gets home that night, he's not happy, obviously. And so Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. And what do we see? It says, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he extended kindness to him. And in which case, we were like, what? (laughs) Like, God, like, he's the one that allowed Joseph to to be sold as a slave. He's the one that has allowed him to be falsely accused. Like, like where is God in all this? How could he be with Joseph? But no, he is extending his kindness to him and he granted him favor with the prison warden. Now the prison warden, he notices same thing that Potiphar noticed, that hey, everything Joseph does, like he does really well. Okay, and so he goes above and beyond every single time. And so the warden ends up putting Joseph in charge of the whole prison um, in a short amount of time because everything that Joseph does, like he does really, really, really well. And so Joseph does this for a long time. Well, eventually, Pharaoh, he happens to throw um, two of his officials into into this exact prison, into this place, um, his chief cupbearer and his chief baker, And uh, they're in prison, they're actually under Joseph's charge, and we don't know what they did, we don't know what the deal was, but uh, one night, they both end up having some super weird dreams, okay? And so they wake up in the morning, they're really bothered, they tell each other their dreams, their dreams are actually weirdly similar, And, uh, and so Joseph, that morning, he's making the rounds, he's got his clipboard, he's checking everybody, okay, you're here, you're here, you're here, okay, that one's dead, you know, I don't know, and he's going through, and he's like, whoa, whoa, you two! All right, you two look more sad than normal. What's going on? Now, this is a prison, right? And so we all automatically know. I'm sure this isn't a place of laughter and joy. Probably everybody's sad. But he's looking at these two, and he's like, you guys are like sad, sad, not your normal, really, you know, not your normal sad. And so he asks them, what's up? And they're like, hey, we had these really weird dreams. We don't know what they mean. They got to mean something. They're, like, very similar, and it's just kind of crazy. And so Joseph's like, well, I got... I had a couple weird dreams once, and I could interpret that. God allowed that to happen, so maybe God will tell me what your dreams mean, so why don't you guys tell me your dreams? And uh, they got nothing but time on their hands, so they're like, all right, Joseph, here, here's, here's what my dream was. So the chief cupbearer, he tells him his dream. It's super weird. And Joseph's like, actually, I do know what that means. Um, that means that in three days, all right, that uh, in three days, Pharaoh's going to come, and he's going to lift up your head, and he is going to restore you to your previous position. It's going to be awesome. Okay, Perfect. And the chief Cubbearer is like, that sounds pretty good. Good to hear. Well, the chief baker, he's right there, and he's just like, hey, man, all right, that's good news. My dream is very similar, so my dream must mean something, you know, really good like that. And so he tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph's like, yeah, your dream's not as good. All right, your dream means that in three days, uh, the, the pharaoh's going to come. He's going to lift up your head right off your, your body, and uh, he's going to pale you on a pole, and the birds are going to eat your face. Okay, that's literally what it is. Not good news, right? Okay, you want the birds eating your face? All right, okay, that's not good. And so, there, and so the guy hears that, he's like, oh, okay, all right. I hope you don't know what you're talking about. And sure enough, three days later, Pharaoh restores the cupbearer to his previous position, and the chief baker is executed. And before the chief cupbearer leaves, Joseph tells him, he's like, hey, remember, I'm the one who told you this was going to happen. I can do this. It's kind of weird. God's the one who tells me this stuff, but, um, but please remember me. I'm falsely accused. I shouldn't be here, and I didn't do anything. And so, you know, mention me to Pharaoh if you would, and the chief is like, of course, yeah, whatever. it Like, thank you for the, you know, I will definitely do that. But that doesn't happen, right? The chief cupbearer forgets. He just forgets, and he forgets about Joseph. And Joseph waits in prison for another two years. Two years. I mean, can you imagine that? until one night, Pharaoh has a weird dream himself, and it bothers him. It is really weird. It's about like cows eating other cows, sick cows, good cows, just kind of all about cows. It's kind of weird, and, um, and so Pharaoh calls in like his top counselors and his officials. He's like, hey, I had this dream. I want you guys to tell me what that means, and he tells them. They're like, dude, we've never heard of a dream like that before. We don't know what that means, and at that moment, the chief cupbearer's the light, you know, turns on in his head. He's like, Oh, I forgot about that guy What's his name again? I forget his name He says, hey Pharaoh, I got, I got something Remember when you threw me in prison? That was not a big deal Alright, that yeah, was totally my fault you, you should, Good for you for doing that I hate to even bring this up But while I was there, I had this really weird dream And this, this dude, I don't even remember his name He told me what my dream meant And it actually happened Kind of crazy. And so he's like, why don't we go get that guy to come here? He can listen to your dream, and then you, he'll tell you what it means. And so Pharaoh's like, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Bring them all in. And so they run, and they rush to get Joseph. They clean them all up and everything. They tell him what to do, where to stand, how to bow, all that stuff. He presents himself before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream, and uh, and Joseph's like, by the way, Pharaoh, this is not me. This is all God. All right, I can't do this, but God can. And uh, he says, here's what God is doing. I actually happen to know what your dream means. God is giving you, Pharaoh, the inside scoop on what is about to happen. He says, over the next 14 years. He says, for the first seven years, this is gonna be really good. You're gonna have rain, you're gonna have, you know, the weather's gonna be perfect. You're gonna have crops up to wazoo, okay, all over the place. You're gonna have so much food that you're not even gonna know what to do with it all. And, but after that, it's gonna be seven terrible years where it's not gonna rain. It's all gonna be a drought, nothing's gonna grow. And um, if you don't do anything about it, a bunch of people are gonna die on your watch. And so we gotta figure this out. He's giving you the inside scoop so that you can plan in advance. And so um, that's where Joseph should have stopped talking, but he keeps going. And this slave, in this prison, prisoner slave guy, you know, he's 30 years old at this point, right, this kid, he is now giving advice to the most powerful man at this point in history in the world. And so he says, Pharaoh, this is what you need to do, okay, during the seven good years, you need to collect 20% of the, of the grain, and people won't even care because they're just going to have so much anyway. And so you need to take that, you need to store it, and then sell it back to the people during the seven bad years. And when Pharaoh hears this, he likes the sound of this because that, I mean, he's like, okay, well, this is going to make me a lot of money. I'll be, selling, I'll be the only one who has food, and I'll be selling it back to everybody. And uh, so Pharaoh says, you know what, Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge. Not only that, because you've told me what this means that nobody else could do, I'm gonna turn you into the second most powerful man in the nation, and, uh, and you're gonna be in charge of everything except for me. And so if you think about this total God thing, right, like within 20 minutes, Joseph, who is a slave, also a prisoner, becomes the mo- second most powerful man in the world at age 30, right, it's crazy. And so Joseph gets to work. After seven um, great years of collecting grain and food, the drought comes seven years later, Nobody's able to grow anything. And when Joseph opens up his food supply, he begins to sell it back to the people according to his plan. And uh, this drought that begins is not only in the land of Egypt, it's actually over the entire area, including the land where Joseph's family lives, including back home. And so one day, Joseph's doing his things. He's in Egypt. He's selling off his grain. And, and his brothers happen to arrive in Egypt to buy food because they hear that Egypt's the only place that has food. And so they bow down before Joseph. And right at that moment, Joseph recognizes them, right? Actually, the Bible tells us that uh, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And so as they bow down, Joseph, like the light bulb goes off in Joseph's mind. He's just like, Oh yeah, those dreams that I had when I was a kid, when I was 17 years old, this is exactly what God told me was going to happen. All of my brothers bowing down to me, and he remembers the dreams, and so as they're standing there and they bow down before Joseph, Joseph starts to kind of jack with them, which by the way is a ty- typical brother move, right? Um, he starts to jack with them. First, he accuses them of being spies. Um, and again, I think there's more to this. I think he's like flooded with emotion. He doesn't know what to think. He doesn't know what to do. And he accuses them of being spies. And they're like, no, 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 we're not spies. There's like 11 of us, brothers, and actually, one, the youngest one, he's back at home. We have a dad, he's back at home. And, and we're from this area and this is all true. And so Joseph then, after he hears that, he sends them to prison for three days. Okay, like, hey, I'm gonna give you a taste of what I had to go through. He sends him to prison for three days, and then after three days, he lets them all go except for one, uh, His, his um, one of his older brothers named Simeon. He keeps him in jail. I don't know why he picked Simeon out. Maybe he ate his Cocoa Puffs when he was 17 or Ripped his baseball card. I don't know what happened. But uh, he says, basically, I'm going to keep this one here as collateral. I want to make sure that you guys aren't spies. I want you guys to go back home, grab your supposed brother, Benjamin, and bring him here. Now, we know Benjamin is actually Joseph's only full brother. Okay, all the rest of them are half-brothers. He is the same mom, same dad with Benjamin, who was just like a toddler, probably, when Joseph was sold as a slave. And so he's like, I want you to bring him here. I want want to meet this, this kid. And so... Um, he says, Don't ever come back here again unless you bring your younger brother, Benjamin. And so they go home. They talk to dad, Jacob, and say, Hey, we need to take Benjamin. Actually, they go back to dad and say, Hey, dad, we lost another kid. All right, we lost another son. All right, Simeon, he, he's stuck in Egypt. And so he's like, We need to take Benjamin to Egypt to show this guy that we're not lying, that we're actually not spies, and then we could get Simeon back. And Jacob's just like, No way. All right, you guys don't have a good track record. You guys have lost two of my sons now. Not a very good thing. And so they don't go. But eventually, the drought is so bad that they run out of food again. And Jacob's just like, like he's got no other choice, okay? Okay. Take Benjamin, go, we're going to die anyway. And the brothers stand, they head back to Egypt, and they stand before Joseph again, again without knowing that it's him. And Joseph prepares for this big dinner for all of them. He allows Simeon out of jail. They have this big dinner. The next day, his brothers get ready to leave. Joseph is, again, kind of jacking with them. He sneaks a silver cup in Benjamin's food bag, and, and the brothers leave. They don't know that. And so after about an hour or so, who knows how long, Joseph sends the guards to go arrest whoever stole his cup. And they stop the brothers, and they search the food. And sure enough, the, 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 they find the cup in Benjamin's bag. And so the guards arrest Benjamin. And all the brothers go back, turn around. They all go back to Egypt to see what they can do. And Joseph tells them that, hey, Benjamin's punishment for, keep, for stealing this cup of mine is um, he is going to be my slave forever, for the rest of his life. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? It's the same thing that they did to him, right? And so Judah steps up. By the way, 22 years before, it was Judah's idea to sell Joseph as a slave. It was all on Judah. He was the ringleader behind that. But now Judah steps up and he begs Joseph to take him as a slave instead. Let Benjamin go. Take me as a slave. And and that's really where we left off last week. It's like the climax of the story is right here. And if you think about both sides coming here, you got the brothers, right? They've been weighed down with this guilt for the last 22 years. Okay, that's not an easy thing. You got their families are starving at home. You got this dad who doesn't seem to care much for them. He loves Benjamin now because he shifted his favoritism from Joseph to Benjamin when Joseph died. And, uh, and here they are. They're in this foreign country. They're in trouble with this foreign official. Um, we know it's Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. And Judah can't stand the thought of his younger brother being sold as a slave Again, he can't take this anymore. And so he's like, I'll be your slave. I won't see my kids ever again. Just take me, let this guy, let Benjamin go. But then he also got Joseph, right? Joseph, he's facing these guys. This is his own family, his own brothers who sold him as a slave when he was 17 years old. He hasn't heard from them or seen them for the last 22 years. And life might be okay for Joseph now, Okay, he's got everything you might want right now, but it has not been easy. I mean, he's been a slave. He's been falsely accused. He's been in prison. I mean, for years, he spent his life that way because of who? Because of them, because of the guys who are standing before him at this moment, and Joseph just can't take it anymore. It says he could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out. He says, send everybody away. Basically, he says, everybody get out except for these foreigners right here. And so right here is the brothers. They're freaked out. They don't know what's happening. They're like, okay, what's going on? Here they are, just these these 10 brothers in front of the second most powerful man in the world. And it says, no one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. It says, but he wept. Now, here we see the humanity of Joseph. Right? I mean, this is a broken man. Like, he's got everything at his fingertips. You look at it this way. He's got all this success that the world could ever hope to offer at 39 years old. That's how old he is at this point. I mean, he's got the money, he's got the fame, he's got the best foods, the best clothes. He's got a wife, he's got kids. He he rides around in a chariot with people running out in front of him saying, make way, here comes Joseph, right? The powerful, he's got all this. He's the second most powerful man in the world. But the one thing he still wanted was a fixed relationship with his family. By the way, money will not buy you that. Success will not buy you that. Fame will not buy you that. That's what he Once And so he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. They're like, what is going on in there? Joseph, what's going on? And so uh, Joseph said to his brothers, he says, I am Joseph. Like, he's like, guys, it's me, Joe. Remember me? Is dad still alive? How's dad doing? Uh, But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. These guys are freaked out. The brothers can't believe it. And I'm sure all sorts of things are running through their head, right? At this moment, they're just like, what is going on? Like, is this God playing a trick? What's happening? And maybe they're expecting, like, after they, like, they finally rationalize, okay, maybe this is Joseph. They were heading in this direction when we sold him as a slave. You know, maybe this is him. And what, you know, I'm sure they're expecting, okay, um, so we did something really, really bad to him. Like, are they expecting to do unto them what they did unto him? You know, like that type of thing? Or they don't know if this is a really good thing. They don't know if this is a really bad thing. They don't know if they'll be in prison for the rest of their life. I mean, he's already thrown him in prison. And once, Simeon's been in prison for months, and they're going, is he going to get us back? What is he going to do? He's got all the the power at his fingertips. It says that Joseph said to his brothers, he says, please, come near to me. And they came near, probably like, okay, promise you won't kill us. um, They walked near to him. He says, I'm Joseph, your brother, he said, the one who you, you guys, sold into Egypt as a slave. Remember that? Remember when you guys did that? Yeah. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. And you read that, and this week as I'm going through this, I'm reading that, I'm like, what? Don't be grieved or angry. He's basically saying, hey, don't feel bad about that. What are you talking about, Joseph? You've been in prison for for years. You've been a slave for years. You know, and he's saying, you know, you remember what you did to me, yet don't feel sorry. Don't feel bad about it. It's probably the exact opposite words that they were expecting here. These guys, I'm sure when they realize this is Joseph, they're expecting revenge, right? They're like, okay, he's definitely throwing us in prison again. Joseph, think about it. He could have them executed on site just with one word. He doesn't have to watch. He just has to say, okay, execute them and walk out. That's all he has to do. By the way, that's what they were planning on doing to him at the beginning of the story. At least you expect Joseph to be standing there and and at least tell them, like, yell at them, right? Like, you know, I can't believe you guys did that to me, you don't know what I've been through, you know, I've had all this stuff. He doesn't do that. Instead of getting a lecture, they get forgiven. And maybe the biggest lesson I feel like we can learn from this story, and the last thing we're going to be looking at here, is something that I feel like every single one of us, it doesn't matter how good your family is, doesn't matter how awesome your friends are, every single one of us, we all struggle with, and I don't think this was easy for Joseph, the need to forgive. And here's what Joseph must have learned. I don't know. If he learned this, you know, during the years of being a slave. Or maybe he learned this during the years of being in prison, right? In a hole in the ground. I don't know. But here's the deal: forgiving someone is a choice of your will, not emotions. Okay? I want us to understand that. Forgiving someone is a choice of your will, not emotions. See, we live in a society where everything's run on emotions, right? I mean everything. It's just like we're so quick to react to all this stuff. Emotions drive our thinking. They drive our decisions. They drive what we say. They drive what we do. And many times, it's, I feel like it's, when it comes to forgiveness specifically, right, it's the emotion and the belief that forgiving is forgetting, right? Like we've heard that you need to forgive and you need to forget. And so we have this idea that forgiving is for, is and that forgiving is forgetting, and that acts as a barrier that keeps us from actually forgiving people, because a lot of us. Maybe something that somebody has done to us is so bad that we think, I cannot just forget that. Like, I cannot just pretend like that didn't happen, and so because of that, because I cannot forgive, therefore, I cannot forgive. But in reality, here's the deal. Forgiving and forgetting are two different things. Those are not the same thing. Notice, by the way, Joseph didn't forget, right? He's the one reminding them, hey, do you guys remember by any chance, maybe 22 years ago, I know it's a long time ago, but you had another brother, remember that guy, younger, He had a sweet coat, you know. um, Do you remember uh, selling him into slavery, all right? You know, he doesn't do that. Or, Or, sorry, he does do that. He's like, hey, you guys did this to me. He's reminding them what they did, as if they even needed reminding. See, Joseph doesn't forget, but he does forgive. And the thing we gotta understand about forgiveness is that forgiveness always costs the forgiver something. We don't like that. Like, when we forgive, I'm just saying, it's gonna cost you. That's what forgiveness is. See, here's how the Bible explains forgiveness. The Bible says, somebody wrongs you, which, by the way, every single person in this room, we've all been wronged by people. It's just just life, because we're all sinners. And by the way, we've all wronged others as well. And so, um, when someone wrongs you, it's like they owe you. This is what the Bible explains to us. And they need to make it right. Like, they need to fix what they've done. And so, forgiveness is you, the forgiver, absorbing their debt. It's you, the forgiver, absorbing the cost of what they owe you. So in this case, Joseph's brothers, they wronged him, right? Selling him as a slave, it's wrong, right? Okay, maybe, we're not so sure, okay, all right. Um, Yeah, that's wrong, okay. Um, And uh, and, and think about what they took from Joseph, right? The chance to grow up as a normal kid, right? Uh, 22 years of being alone, or sorry, 22 years of being home, uh, 22 years of being with dad and, and and the family. They took his freedom. They took everything that they possibly could from Joseph. They took everything away from him that he had. And so Joseph doesn't ask them to fix that as if they even could. Joseph absorbs their debt. He absorbs their wrong to him. Now, we live in a world today where we're always trying to play the victim. Have you noticed that? All right. Um, we all got this victim mentality, even, even for little things. I'm not saying we're not victims. I think all, every single one of us, we are victims to varying things, okay? We've all been wronged by other people. But we all have this victim mentality. And, and part of me is like, I don't understand. I don't understand when it became cool to be the victim, like to bask in being a victim. And we all do it. Uh, a few uh, weeks ago, I was looking over my bank statements, okay, um, or a bank statement, a monthly bank statement, whatever. And I'm, I realized that my bank was charging me a monthly service fee. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you guys have that? All, right. all my bankers go to church here, so I gotta watch what I say and how I say it, all right? So anyway, this bank's charging me, charging me a monthly service fee, and I'm like... Okay, that's annoying, right? They already got all my money, and now they're making money off my money, and now they're making me pay them to make money off my money. That's how I think. I don't know if that's right. So I go to the bank, and I'm like, hey, um, here's, and I'm a really nice lady. Actually, I was talking to the customer relation lady, so I'm like, hey, this is like perfect, right? If anybody could do something to this lady. So I'm like, hey, just was reading, and I'm super nice about it because I'm a pastor and I have to be, and I <laughs> never know when I'll see him in front row at church. And so I'm like, hey, you know, here's this deal. I was just looking, and I noticed that you guys were now charging me for the last two months. I'm monthly service fee, and uh, and so can we do something about that? And she, you know, she's just like, no, not really, you know, this is the program that you're in, it's just how the bank works, and I'm like, you know, and then what do I do, because it's not going my way? Well, then I got to play the victim card, you know, I'm like, well, you know, you guys like took that from me, that's kind of, like, that's my money, you know, this is all my money in my account, and uh, you guys like just took that kind of without asking, and, and you didn't tell me that you are going to do it. You didn't give me a heads up, heads up, monthly service fee starting next month, all that stuff. I'm like, you didn't do anything. And I'm like, thinking to myself, and I, and I told her this, I'm like, that's like stealing. You guys like stole from me you have my money and access to my money, and you just took it without asking. That's stealing, right? Like, this shouldn't even be legal. And I'm telling her this, and I'm kind of like joking around, but I'm like, eh, right, right? She's like, oh, maybe. You know, so then I'm like, you owe me. Okay, you owe me. And then sure enough, after I gave her that big, long speech, she was like, okay, I'll give you $2 back. You know, I'm like, thank you. All right, $2 is $2, okay, people? It's the principle of the matter, all right? And so I'm like, okay, all right, that's better. And so just think about it. That's like a... Weird example, funny example, I guess, whatever. But like think about like the, the real stuff when somebody wrongs you. Think about it right now, just think about it. Who owes you? When I ask you that, who comes to the top of your mind? Who owes you because they wronged you, did something to you, and you're like, they owe me? I, there's nothing they could do about it, maybe. It's not like they could pay you back or whatever. But who do you just feel inside? Who owes you? See, that's the question we need to ask. And as we look at the story, Joseph, he doesn't require them to pay him back. Again, as if they even could. Usually, when people wrong us, it's not like they could pay us back anyway. We just feel this sense of, they owe me. And think about what Joseph has think about what he has to complain about. A lot. He's been through some pretty terrible stuff. He's been a slave. He's been falsely accused. He's been in prison. all this stuff lasted for years. I mean, think about the decade. Of, think about his 20s, right? His 20s were awful. His 20s, he spent in misery. And, and he, he doesn't do that. And so he forgives his brothers, and and he's crying, and all this stuff's happening, and word starts to travel that Joseph has reconnected with his family. And even Pharaoh, he hears about this. In Genesis chapter 45, he says, and now um, he tells his brothers, he says, hey, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. He says, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So here's Joseph. He's looking at the big picture now. Right, he's just like, God has done this. And so it says, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. It says, so God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made a father, me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so he tells his, brother this, his brothers this. He's like, hey, all right, he's looking at the big picture. He can see the good that came out of his misery, all right? And, and so he tells his brothers, he's like, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to go, and I want you to go home. I want you guys to get dad. I want to, you know, bring the family, bring the kids, show me pictures. I've been missing out all these years. And, and, and he's like, I want you guys to come here and live with me. And when Pharaoh hears this, it says, uh, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace. It says, Joseph's brothers have been come. Like, like, everybody's talking about it because Joseph's been wailing and stuff like that. It says, Pharaoh and his servants, they were pleased. They're like, hey, good for Joseph. He saved our lives. All right, we're good this thing happened to him. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Tell your brothers to do this. Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Um, go get dad and your families and come back to me. I, Pharaoh's saying this, I will give you the best of the land in Egypt and you can eat from the richness of the land. You don't have to worry about food anymore you guys are also commanded to tell him. he says, also tell them to take wagons from the land of Egypt for your dependents and your wives and bring your father here. He says, do not be concerned about your belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is, is, uh, is, is yours. He's saying, you don't even have to bring any stuff, just bring your people, all right? We can cover your stuff, we got stuff. And so um, as these guys leave, and, uh, and Pharaoh's saying, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about anything. And so in verse 24, Joseph sent his brothers on their way. And as they were leaving, he said to them, he says, hey, guys, don't argue. Isn't that kind of funny? All right? He's telling his brothers. Like he doesn't, you know, he hasn't seen his brothers for years. But he knows because that's what bros do, right? They argue about stuff. Um, and so he's like, hey, guys, don't argue on the way. <laughs> uh, he says, so they went up from Egypt, and he came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they said, imagine this conversation, by the way. So, Dad, remember that one son you had 22 years ago? He died, you know? Yeah, we actually sold him as a slave. <laughs> you know, I'm, probably, I'm guessing that conversation didn't go super well. And now, But now, Dad, don't worry. He's alive, and he's, he's super powerful, and he's actually going to take care of us for the rest of our lives. So it's going to be awesome. And so when he hears this, he's like, he's the ruler of all the land of Egypt. Jo- Jacob's, like, stunned. He's like, What? I can't take all this in. I need some time to like process this. For he did not believe them. But eventually they convince Jacob that it's finally true. And they gather up all their stuff. They gather up all their families. And Jacob and all his sons and the grandkids, they begin this long trip back to Egypt. And when they get close back to Egypt, it says, now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. A lot of J names here. To prepare the way or to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. That's where Joseph lived. It says, when they came to the land of Goshen in Egypt, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and they went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. Another name for Jacob. Joseph presented himself to him. Remember, he hasn't seen his dad for 22 years at this point. He threw his arms around him and they wept for a long time. Then Israel, Jacob said to Joseph, he says, I'm ready to die. It's kind of a weird thing. I was thinking, I'm like, he gets to see his son. You know, he hasn't seen him for so long, and he sees them. They're all crying. They're hugging each other. He's like, I'm ready to die, you know. And uh, he says, I'm ready to die now because I've seen your face, and you, Joseph, are still alive. And so Joseph is super excited. I mean, he's got this connection. Now now he might actually have everything that uh, that you could ever want. Uh, Jacob cannot believe it. Joseph cannot believe it. And so Joseph takes his family to meet Pharaoh. Pharaoh actually grants Joseph's family permission to live in the best land of all of Egypt, which was this area called Goshen. And uh, it's the most fertile land because they have animals and stuff. And even when Pharaoh hears that these guys take care of livestock, he's like, hey, well, put your brothers in charge of my livestock. That sounds pretty good to me. And so things are going pretty good for these guys, right? We can all agree on that. Chapter 47. It says, then Joseph settled in his father and his brothers in the land of Egypt and gave them the property in the best part of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded, all right, Goshen. And so Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's family with food for their dependence. And again, life is good. Everything seems to be, have been forgiven. And the Bible tells us 17 years go by. So 17 years later, Jacob, who's an old man even when he gets to Egypt, he ends up dying. And when he dies, it says, Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. And they said to one another, they said, oh, dad's dead. Um, you know, remember what we did to Joseph? I know that was a long time ago, but if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, like what if he is? Right? What if he's planning to get us back? Like if he's holding a grudge against us, all right, this is not good, all right? It, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering that we have caused him. You see this thing, like, I just want us to understand this real quick. You know, these, what they did to their brother so many decades before, it still weighs on them. They're still constantly looking over their shoulder, like, is Joseph gonna get us now, all right? Uh, Joseph didn't do anything because dad, he was still alive and dad wouldn't like that, but now the dad's gone, now he's gonna pay us back. And so they come up with a plan, says, so, so, so they sent this message to Joseph. They say, hey, Joseph. They, they're scheming again. They're like, hey, Joseph, Joe, buddy, dad, bro. Um, before dad died, he actually gave us a, a message to give to you. And this is what the message said. He says, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin. All right, forgive them. It says, the suffering that they caused you. Therefore, and again, this isn't actually taking place as a letter that they wrote saying their dad said that, but he actually didn't say it. He says, therefore, please or forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when their message came to him. And his brothers also came to him, and they bowed down before him. Again, here we go, again, just what Joseph knew as 17 years old was gonna happen. And he's, they said, we're your slaves, Joseph. You, you, uh, we sold you as a slave, all right, now we are your slaves. Please don't kill us or harm us or anything. But Joseph said to them, these guys, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God he says, you guys, you guys did this to me. You guys planned evil against me. But guess what? God planned it for good. It's bring about the present result, the survival of so many people. He says, therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. See, Joseph acknowledges what they did. He's looking at the big situation, he doesn't forget, okay? I mean, he doesn't say, hey, oh, that wasn't a big deal. He doesn't say anything like that. He's like, no, 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 that was a big deal. You guys did that. I I still remember what you guys did. It was so wrong. But he also recognizes how God used it, how God ultimately was in control. And so for many years, I'm sure to Joseph that it was like, man, God is just silent. But what he realized is that God was not still. He was still doing something. And so when Joseph was faced with those who wronged him, guess what he did? Forgave them. And by the way, you have the opportunity to face those who wronged you as well. I think we have this opportunity more than we realize. Those who stole your first marriage. Maybe they stole your childhood. Maybe they took something from you that you can never get back. Maybe they stole an opportunity for you to raise your own kids like you'd always planned. Maybe they hurt you in some way. That's happened to, you know, some of that stuff has happened to all of us. You know, the question is, what are you going to do? What will you do? Will you be the victim Or will you forgive them? Will you have the mindset of, man, you still owe me and there's nothing you could ever do to pay me back and I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life? Or are you going to come in the mindset of, you know what, I am choosing to forgive. I am choosing to say, you owe me nothing anymore. I absorb your debt. I absorb the cost. See, forgiving someone is a choice of your will, not emotions. And so it's really up to you. You can either be bitter or the Bible says you can either be free. And so the next time you're struggling with forgiveness, forgiving somebody who's wronged you, maybe it'll help to remember the story of Joseph. He suffered. But there was a bigger story happening. And actually, the story was never about Joseph. <laughs> Actually, actually, the story was about God forgiving us. Joseph was just a small character at a small little point in the story, right? Actually, the story was about a promise that was made to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, right? And then came through Isaac, and then through Jacob, and then through all, the, all of Jacob's sons, that's where the story, that's what the story is about. It's the story about a promise that God would somehow, through this family, save the entire world, save us from our sin. And in that moment, as those brothers are standing before uh, Joseph, God's plan for the ages, it dangled by the thread of this one decision. Right, Joseph didn't know it. He didn't know it. They, the, the guys bowing before him, they didn't know it. But Joseph had the eleven of the twelve. You know, the twelve tribes of Israel are all there, right there together. The line that God was going to use to bring the Savior that would save the world, including you and me here today. See, their overall story is not about Joseph. By the way, your story is not about you either. If you're a Christian, your story is ultimately about Jesus. And I'm just saying, remembering that. Hey, your story is not about you. It's not about what someone owes you. It's not about what somebody did to you. I'm just saying, I feel like it makes it easy to forgive people. It's not about us. Our story isn't about us, it's about God saving us. And it's ultimately about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. Um, Lord, thank you for this story. It teaches us, there's so much that it teaches us throughout the last few weeks. But God, today specifically teaches us how to forgive. And if Joseph can forgive his own brothers and the terrible thing that they did to him, God, we can forgive anybody. We can forgive all the people that have done terrible stuff to us. And we can do that through you. God, we thank you so much, and we thank you for this day. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.